was desperate, you know, at the time I was 17, 18, unemployed, you know, and I was desperate to, you know, to get a break. And I knew that if I did get a try, I would, you know, I would grab the chance. I think it was always going to be boxing. I mean, I stepped into the gym as a 10 or 11 year old. Boxing just took hold of my heart straight away. I love everything about the sport of boxing. Hello, I'm Marie Crow, and this is We Become Heroes, the RTE sport podcast that explores how elite athletes and sports people reach the top of their game and the lessons that they learned along the way. I'm delighted to say my guest today is a former Leinster, Ireland and British and Irish Lions player, Sean O'Brien. Sean, how are you? Hi, Marie. How are you? Good. Uh, thanks for coming on. I know it's a busy time for you because you are in the middle of pre-season. How many pre-seasons have you done now? Does it get easier? This is number 15 now. Um, not so sure if it's any easier, to be honest. Um, the last uh, eight days have been a bit, a bit of a shock to the system again. But uh, enjoying it all the same. And um, the weather makes it a little bit easier over here. So it's, uh, it's been quite uh, hot. Um, and yeah, just a good buzz around the place, which is, uh, which is always good. And COVID is starting to disintegrate over here a little bit and things are opened up. So it's a little bit easier than, uh, by all accounts, what's around home. Yeah, it's tough enough here still at the moment just because people are anxious to try and get back to things and crowds to matches and all the rest of it. It's still a bit limited. So when you think back to the first pre-season that you did and look at what you're doing now, like how much has changed? Um, yeah, there's quite a lot has changed, to be honest. Um, the first pre-season, I remember, I think it could have been the guts of eight to nine K of a, a stage run is what it was called. Um, so it was like 100 metres and then you'd have one-to-one -one rest, then 200 metres, 300 metres, 400 metres, then back to one, and then you'd have 50s and all this type of thing. So the whole the whole dynamic of, of it has changed in terms of the science, science behind everything. And um, now, like, you're running no more probably than, than 4.8K in a, in a proper conditioning day. Um, but that's probably high intensity. It's still quite a lot, to be fair, over a 60-minute period. But, um, yeah, it's changed an awful lot. It's just different techniques, uh, there's no more like flogging people into the ground. There's individual programs now. So something that suits me mightn't suit someone else. And some whippets of a type fella mightn't be doing the amount of running that us bigger guys might have to do just to, to keep a bit of weight on them. So um, no fear that with me. So it, it's it's changed so much. And um, uh, I suppose I enjoy that part of it too because it is more tailored to the individual Um while, while group sessions and field sessions are done together, the, the individual conditioning is quite unique to your own body and how you can get in the best shape possible come the season. How different do you think your body is from when you started then to what you are now? <laughs> it's hilarious, actually, because um, every now and again, one of those like under 21 pictures might pop up somewhere or someone might send it to me saying, geez, do you remember this, this evening or that match? And... I was uh, I was a big lump for a twenty one year old I'd say um, in terms of um, I was pudgy um, definitely a lot yeah I was definitely a lot more pudgy than I was now I was just probably I didn't I didn't probably think about nutrition um, in a, in a in a serious way back then and I look at my body now I think every year even even now at thirty four I think I'm in I'm definitely in better shape in terms of um, aesthetically looking at myself like than I was when I was 24 and um, I'm definitely a lot more leaner now um, and you just kind of I suppose you get to know your body as you as you get a bit older and know what works for you and know, know what doesn't and the, the other big thing as well is you're you're that much 
more smarter in the off season. So you're not like eating a lot of bad food or uh, staying inactive for any kind of period of time. So you just get a lot cuter. And I think that helps them when you get back training, um, you know, you, you, you get into a bit of better condition as you go along. So London Irish, what's life like with London Irish and life like over there? Yeah, it's, to be honest with you, it's been a, a, a breath of fresh air for me. Um, I kind of came over here not knowing really what to expect. I thought I had a probably perceived perception with London in terms of, oh, people are going to be so open and it'll be a different place. I'll fit in lovely. And when I get over here, I, people are quite closed off over here. But um, as you get to know people and you're in the area, etc., in, in Teddington here where I am, um, it's quite a it's quite a, a close knit community. You, I've kind of bumped into the same people now for the last while at coffee shops and and the local pub for a roast, for instance. So it's quite refreshing over here. I I think when you live in Dublin for so long, you're in this bubble, and rugby is a very um, major sport in Ireland. But over in London, it's not that major at all. Um, people mind their own business. They don't pay attention to you. They don't really. You know, they don't delve into your life as much as probably people do in Ireland, which is quite refreshing. And um, I'm definitely a lot more relaxed over here in terms of, um, you know, how my how my thinking is. And um, I suppose I'm definitely enjoying myself a lot more. And I'm I'm probably a happier person, actually, since I moved over here, which is uh, which I probably didn't think of at the start. Do you think a lot of that is down to the focus that was on you and look, let's rugby, it's massive here. Everybody knows who you are. Ireland rugby is even bigger. You're big stars. Everybody wants to know about you guys and that brings pressure and expectation. Do you think that's that was a factor? Yeah, it probably is a little bit, to be honest, around home. I think I think it's just probably the culture you get used to as well and um, the way people are at home. We're over here, it's just like, there's soccer players, there's Hollywood movie stars. For instance, Tom Hardy was walking down the street uh, in Richmond a couple of weeks ago with his dog and he's, and you know what I mean? Nobody's saying a word to him. If he was in Dublin, he'd probably be hounded by photographers or, um, you know, they'd probably like be- Matt Damon that time. It was the biggest yeah. story for weeks. <laughs> yeah, that type of thing. So people don't really bother with other people over here. They kind of look after their own business and they're very busy with their own lives. There's a lot of people over here just, you know, are, are workaholics and, um, you know, it's, it's quite nice to just shoot the breeze, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, if we didn't bother with people, we'd have nobody to gossip about, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, look, um, I'm going to get into our set questions. I'm going to have a look back at your career. I know you're still playing and you still have a lot more to achieve, but you have been around the block for quite a while already. Um, so tell me what your earliest memory of sport is. My earliest, earliest memory of sport is actually playing in... Um, what was called the Jim Morris Under A Tournament in Air Oak uh, Football Club in Carlo. Um, I was playing with Ballon Rateau and um, we won that Under A Tournament at the time. Um, and that was that's my earliest sport and memory is playing Gaelic football in Air Oak in the tournament, um, playing playing full back and then without midfield in the second in the second half. Um, and it was just yeah, great crack and such an enjoyable time. And we had actually that team that we were. That I was on at that time, we stayed together the whole way out of the minor. Um, I'd say we only one or two lads might have dropped out, with, but we had, a, we had a cracking football team back then. It's funny, I could actually see it in your face, like you're you're transported back there almost. You could see how much enjoyment you got out of it. Yeah, it was. It, I suppose they're they're great days just to think back on. Um, 
because that's what it was then. I didn't, if you know what I mean, you didn't have a, I suppose, professional mindset or you didn't have anything like that as a child or as a kid, like at eight, eight or nine years of age. You just had fun with your friends that you're after starting school with and uh, they're joining the football team with. And um, yeah, they were just great days, to be honest. And you're drinking, dr- uh, sucking on oranges and, and uh, you know, having like penny sweets and stuff mm-hmm. after the game and bits, bits and pieces like that, I still remember. Yeah, and then if you win something, then you get brought to the chipper for the burger and chips, which is the, the biggest treat ever. <laughs> Into McDonald's afterwards, I remember. So who were your heroes then growing up? Like, who did you want to be like? Um, I had a couple of heroes growing up. Um, I had, like, Victor Costello would have been rugby, rugby-wise. Victor Costello was uh, someone I always looked up to. I, I suppose that... At a young age, I didn't kind of, you don't really know like who, who these people are or anything. But as you kind of get into your like 12, 13, you start to really like hone in on different people. Roy Keane was a massive one um, just because he was such a leader and um, influential player for Ireland at the time as well. So he was another one. Um, used to love Eric Cantona as well. Um, used to have all the Man United jerseys with Cantona on the back of it. Um, he scored out the collar up as well, which is <laughs> funny back up now. But that was a thing, I think. Though I think that was a, like everybody was doing that at the time. They probably were. I was. I was probably late to the party as usual, maybe with some of that stuff. But they were probably three guys that I would have looked up to. And then, um, yeah, they're they're probably the three that I, I used to mostly look up to anyway, for sure. So did you have an idea that you wanted to be a sports star or anything like that when you were a kid or was that even on the radar? No, I don't think it never, it never even crossed my mind, to be honest. I always, I was very, very good at Gaelic football, always. And I probably thought, even into my teenage years, even until I got to 15, 16, I said, right, so the only thing I want to do is, is play county and play at the highest level I can. And... Um, when I kind of got to that age, I was kind of, I was very competitive, obviously, the whole way up along. Um, but when you get to that age and I started playing rugby more seriously and got picked for South East Leinster and then Leinster Youths, I did really, just like a flick of the switch one day after a, um, a Leinster Youths trial, I just said, this is what I want to do now. It's such a fun time. I was really enjoying rugby at the time. Um and it just, I kind of took to it a little bit better at the time then than, than the, the way football was going. I was, I was, to be honest with you, football and hurling at that stage, I was, if I hit someone on the shoulder, it'd be a free. And I was, it was kind of frustrating me a little bit at the time. Um, so there's a few things happened along the way that I remember now um, that I just said, no, I'm going to give rugby a good crack. And you can be a professional. You couldn't be a professional footballer. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't good enough at soccer. And growing up, uh, growing up along to to have a crack off that, or never even come into my head really. So it was just, yeah, it was a natural progression. I think when I got to sixteen, I said, right, I'll have a crack off this and see where I get to. Were you uh, like a really big kid then, big strong kid? I wasn't. I wasn't overly uh, big in terms of my weight or anything. I was quite uh, athletic looking. Um, I was a bit. I was tall always as a kid. don't know what happened there it stopped at some point anyway um only ever got to six one <laughs> but um yeah I was kind of athletic I was very fit obviously because I was playing everything I was playing soccer I was playing football I was playing basketball I was playing hurling uh, I was playing rugby so naturally I was just naturally fit I suppose at that stage but um when I kind of got to 17 18 
uh, never lifted a weight till I was just near on the way to being 19. Um, and then I started getting very big. So it was, uh, it was just a different dynamic. I was probably naturally strong, obviously, growing up on the farm and yeah. uh, hauling buckets of water around to, to yours and lambs most days because there'd be no water trucks in the sheds. So uh, I was probably doing stuff that other lads, I suppose, at that age, from a young age, weren't doing. So that was a good base for me. Mm-hmm. And what kind of a Gaelic football were you, footballer were you? Um, I was, I was most, I played mostly full back and midfield, but I was, I always probably had um, a very good. Um, I was able to read the game very well. I never really got, uh, you know, roasted on any kind of day. Mm-hmm. Um, got to one in All Ireland Junior or one in Leinster Junior. Got to an All Ireland um, final. We were beaten by Mickey Hart's team. Ballygall in County Tyrone in the school, um, and yeah, I was I was flying that stage. He actually came into change room afterwards. Mickey Hart did and said, uh, "You've a you've a future superstar at full back." He said, uh, no. "Yeah, which was gas." Praise, uh, praise for Mickey Hart. Yeah, it was at the time. To be fair, yeah. they had a fella, uh, Paul Marlowe was his name. He was centre back for them. He 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 was. He played a few times for Tyrone, but he had to retire due to a hip injury, I think. Played a few times for Tyrone about six or seven years ago, maybe a bit more actually now. But um, he, I remember that day, I was just looking at this fella and I said, this fella is unbelievable. He ran the whole field. He, anyone who went out to mark him couldn't mark him. He, I think I was on him at one stage. He flew out by me. But um, those, were, those were days, I suppose, that, uh, that I remember too. But I, I, I loved Gaelic football. Um, and yeah, I always, always tried to kind of, I was always kind of some of the, some of the leadership stuff that I probably naturally had. I always used to love trying to bring that to that side of it as well and, and keep lads organised around me and be a voice on the field. So I was, I was kind of that type of footballer. don't know, you'd have to ask some, so, someone, some of the lads probably that I played with might say something different because there was always um, a, a little bit of aggression in me at, di- at different times. It probably wasn't uh, the way the team wanted it to go. Uh, when did you first realise then that you had talent for sport? Then I probably I probably knew from a young age. To be fair, um, because uh, I was flying at the football, um, I was playing rugby. I was kind of one of those younger guys. I think that wasn't too bad at nearly every sport. The only thing I picked uh, started to do later on in life was hurling, mm. and that was probably I think I was under sixteen when I first started playing. So I was probably fourteen or fifteen. And I wasn't a good hurler. I wasn't skillful. I wasn't. Um, I was just a bit of a hacker, to be honest. Probably put in there, as I say to my uh, good friend Parik uh, Nolan. I, uh, his his dad picked uh, picked me up from the farm one day and said, "Come on, you're coming with us." It was just basically land in the ball on top of him and see does, does he break it down to someone and hopefully we get a score. So, um, but no, I was I was probably handy at every sport growing up along, but football and rugby really took off for me and. Um, they were the two things that I was probably the best at. Well, that 14 or 15 is late to be starting to pick up a hurley anyway. Like, yeah. it's going to be yeah. hard to be good at Golfer's grip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you were leaning towards rugby, like, obviously you're a good Gaelic footballer. Was there anybody saying to you, like, would you not stick at the Gaelic or was it accepted that you could get a, go on and have a career in rugby? No, there was there was because there was a lot of county trials at under sixteen level at that stage, and I I played in a few tournaments for the county or a few trials actually for the county. Uh, so there was people saying, "Look, will you just please stick at this and uh, you know 
nearly well not forget about the rugby but just give this a go but at that stage I, I think I was just had my mindset on um on giving the rugby a lash and and plus I knew that um it could be big for me in terms of if I did make it then your career is kicked off and and um you know you could you could live that dream that I'd been thinking about for those in those younger years it's a good awareness to have at a young age though isn't it that the fact that you were able to think I could go on now and actually that could be my job yeah I think once I flicked the switch in terms of I, I stopped playing as much football I was more concentrating on rugby I really said to myself then right if you're into this you're all in and you're not just half in so um I really did give it a great crack at the start to try and break into those different teams um come into Leinster Youths and, and Irish Youths um, and put my best foot forward. And I can look back now and say like that I'd done all I could at the time and thankfully it worked out for me. I probably got a few lucky breaks as well, but I was working incredibly hard at my game at that stage and and really trying to push and and um, make sure that, uh, you know, I put my hand up for selection. So when you were on that journey and you were just, you've decided that you were going to, pursue a dream of being a rugby player what did you have to work on most in your in your game as you're as you were developing I think the biggest thing for me it wasn't the the, the lack of strength or anything it was this the skill set that, that let's say the schools players had when I went into Leinster first mm-hmm. because they were doing it every single day they were just miles ahead of where I was um and that was the biggest thing for me. The strength stuff I knew that would come. So it was a thing, like some of the lads at the gym were way stronger than me in the gym, but they weren't stronger in the field. So there was like, there was kind of what's called now farm strength and then gym strong. So I had naturally, was naturally strong, but I wasn't very gym strong at the start. But it didn't really matter because I was still performing and doing what I needed to do on the field. But the, the other side, the skill side of it was massive because these boys were handling balls every day of the week. They were able to pass off their left and right. They're just they're just technically better, probably. So I had to work massively on that side of the game. And then the the last thing was the conditioning element of it, the running ability. Because I was only trained on Tuesday and Thursday with Follow Rugby Club for an hour. And at that, it mightn't even be that intense. Um, I had a long way to go to build that, build an engine, basically. And that's what you do like you've now like 15 years on like from that preseason let's say the first preseason my engine comes back very quickly it just it's like it's, it's like it knows what you're doing again so you get fit very quickly but at that stage I was eating breakfast rolls with black pudding and sausages on them on Saturday mornings like an hour before kickoff in Tolo so like that all like that all changed plus you're you're going to train every single day of the week um you know, just become a professional and, and act like one and, and play like one. So all those bits and pieces, but definitely the skills and the condition element were massive for me. So you get into Leinster and you get a contract and, you know, you start to make a name for yourself and become a regular and go on to win Heineken Cups and play for Ireland and all the rest. At what moment did you think, like, I'm here, I've made it, I'm with the best in the world here? like? Um, probably 2009 when I was on when when I when I made the bench for the for the kind of um, hunting cup uh, semi final and final. Um, not that I say said to myself I've made it. 
I said, I've, my, my foot is in the door here now. And it's up to me then after that, you know, how far I go through that, that, door, that doorway that was half a jar, let's say, at the time. There's a few lads starting to get to the end of their careers in Leinster. I was coming in. I was performing really well in training. I was um, looking after myself reasonably well, as best I knew probably at the time. So I did, I had, like, I still have, I have diaries at home where I've written down in notebooks, like, it doesn't matter if it's 30 seconds, make sure you do an like a, a positive impact, for instance, coming off the bench. I've seen lads before, like Sulkin coming off the bench because to play two or three minutes. But I kind of said, any opportunity I get here, make sure I put my hand up and do something good anyway. So there was a lot of that the first year. And then in 2000 and kind of, uh, that was 2009, that year. 2010, then I really started to motor again. And then 11, like I took off and um, kind of cemented myself in the team. And, and that was it really. The rest is, you know, I had a phenomenal year that year. Um, European player of the year and um, I was just on fire I was confident I was strong I was a bit of the unknown people didn't really know much about me other teams um, and I just backed my ability then every time I went out You have an unbelievable drive where does it come from? Um, I think it probably comes from a lot of it comes from where I come from and um, you know family and all those bits and pieces that motivate you and, and what you want to do for the area. And these are all things at the time for me that were ringing in my head. It was people doubting me. Um, just, yeah, a lot of, a lot, a lot of factors, I suppose. I suppose I had a lot of, I had a lot of strings to, to pull on in terms of, um, right, what's my motivation today? I'd hear something during the week or someone would say something around home around the rugby club that you might overhear. Um, there's just lots of things to be fair. But at the end of the day, I was probably unbelievably competitive about winning um, as well, which, which is obviously a massive help. And, you know, while certain things kind of rile you up and say, look, I'll prove this fella wrong under your breath, or you wouldn't be saying it out loud. The ultimate thing was just winning and performing well within the team and, and going out and enjoying yourself at the weekend. Does it bother you if people say things about you that you don't necessarily agree with or like? Asha, look at everyone. Like the world we live in nowadays, like you're never going to satisfy everyone. You're never going to keep any, everyone happy. There's always going to have people with opinions. And that's that's just life, I think. I think you have to come be at peace with that. Bar, bar or not, insulting your family or something very personal. I kind of let all that stuff go over my head. You can't really control it. Um, there's not much you can do about it. Um, I often, I often say, like at home, or if there's something that had happened, like, like if, if someone wanted to say something to you, for sure, pick up the phone and ring you, or, or come and or come and say it face to face and see what to do it. And you know, nine times out of ten, <laughs> so I often say, if there's something to be said, like say it out to someone uh, properly, and um, you know, have a discussion about it. And but like, no one ever does that. The, the, it's easy to sit behind a computer or a, a phone and and say something to someone but you know some things some things are um, sometimes it's just better saying up and uh, suck it up and move on with your life I'd say 10 times out of 10 the person isn't going to come up to you now <clears> and say it to your face somehow I reckon anyway but if they're very if they're very if they're very um, I suppose they're back in their argument of what it might be I, mm -hmm. I actually like discussions like that so not, not a bad thing, but you'll always get one that might challenge on something. 
<laughs> like another thing about your career is, I guess, from when you started to now, a lot of focus did move to social media and a huge amount. Um, it just grew, I suppose, in the last decade or so while you were in the public eye and, and somebody that was really well known. Was that difficult to kind of almost adjust to and get used to that being part of the world that you live in and knowing that people had access to you and could share their opinions with you on a, on a platform like that? Yeah, it probably is. It's, it's even more difficult nowadays, I think. Um, it's getting, well, it's getting worse, but hopefully there'll be something done about it soon with, with social platforms taking action against people who want to, you know, have a cut off for their people or say stuff, um, you know, when it mightn't be the truth or or a, a, a different side of it. But um, I suppose for me, I probably I probably didn't overly think about it too much because um, I probably liked engaging with people in terms of like being out and about. I like giving people time. Um, I liked having the crack. Um, so I didn't, I kind of didn't think it was the big bad world that it actually is, um, which is probably a bit naive on my behalf. But, you know, <laughs> It's just you can't you can't you can't advise everywhere. Um, you can't stop people doing certain things. So it's um, it's just the world we live on live in, unfortunately. And it's it is a bit of a a nightmare in terms of if you're um, I suppose a sports person now that's out there, you have to be kind of squeaky clean and um, anything that you that you might fuck up on or or you know that you might do wrong is it's it, it, it's it's going to be on social media. So. Um, you just have to try and uh, you know not make mistakes and um, you know put your best best foot forward. Easier said than done, though, because everybody's human. Yeah, everyone is human, and you know people people kind of forget that too. That um, you know there's no one perfect in the world. There's no one that hasn't made mistakes in the world. Absolutely nobody. So it's that's the human element of it. But again, I suppose when they're um, and they're sitting behind a screen or, or a phone or whatever it may be nowadays on social media, it's, uh, it's a free-for-all. So everybody's had setbacks, uh, whether it's injury, whether it's getting dropped from a team, whether it's just having to deal with something that's been difficult in life. What for you was the biggest setback that you've had to overcome? Um, Jeez, I've had a good few now. Um, How long do we have? <laughs> How long do we have? I suppose the biggest setback for me um, was probably my hip. Um, I know I was coming to the... Well, it wasn't really... It wouldn't have been the end of my career if, I, if my hip hadn't have been at me in terms of playing for Ireland and, and staying in Leinster. But I just struggled with it for, since after the Lions tour in 2017. I was struggling literally that November. And um, if I knew now, I suppose what I what I what I what I know now, I suppose is that I could have had this operation done and, and took a chance on it back then. Um, but I struggled. I struggled mentally then at that stage. It was eating me up. So it was um, in terms of um, not being able to do uh, what I am capable of, not being able to um, influence the team on the field like I, I knew I was capable of. Um, and just suffering with a lot of pain for nearly two years. Um, and I don't know, I, I look back now and ask myself, why did I let myself do that as well? Because it was, uh, it was pretty bad to be fair. And I, I wouldn't do it again. Um, but missing the world cup, 
even though it was a very poor World Cup for Ireland, missing that World Cup, I, I, I felt I had unfinished business um, from 2015. Um, there's a few bits and pieces that I really wanted to just take off personally and um, didn't get the opportunity to do that and wasn't overly happy like with the way it all ended for me. But you, like as, as a professional athlete, some, you don't control your own destiny sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I've loved to um, play my last game in the RDS in front of a, a, a full house uh, of Leinster supporters, absolutely. Would I love to do the same in the Viva? Absolutely. But that's just not the way it goes. Um, so there's a few things like that. But they were, they were, but that, my hip being the pain it was for just over two years was probably the biggest setback. Describe the pain. Not no sleep, uh, constant pain in the uh, front of your hip groin area. Um, how do you describe the pain? How did uh, it affect your life? Like, what what were you able to do? What were you able? I'd, well, I'd look. I'd, I'd a limp for the guts of fifteen months at one stage. Uh, I had to walk with my kind of foot turned outwards towards like three o'clock. Couldn't walk with a straight foot. Um, it was only a bit of comfort I got when I was walking. I could not sleep at night time. I had to have a pillow between your legs. And at that, I was still in a lot of pain. Wake up in the mornings, not being able to tie your shoe. Um, it, was near, it was nearly, it nearly got to the stage where you're like waking up in the morning. You have to get people to, I was I was putting on flip-flops some mornings and coming in, going into training and getting one of the lads to tie my runner for me to, in order for me to go into the gym and start working. How, how did you get into that situation that you're living in that much pain? Um, well, I suppose when you know that you're, when you know that you've met a specialist and your scans and um, you've no cartilage left in your hip joint, um, there's kind of, there's a lot of options you take in terms of scopes and, and trying to get yourself right again. And I got some relief off them. So you kind of, you get a bit of even the rehabbers and stuff to get like five or six weeks of you being good again. And then after a game or so, you're just you you break down again because the the impacts are too much, or you know there's so many variables in a rugby game. You could get hit on the floor, etc., and your just hip flares up again. So I had really good weeks, and then I had really really bad weeks. Um, excuse me. So it was quite. It was just it was like, it was like a roller coaster to be honest. Um, because sometimes I thought I turned the corner, and other times I was like, oh. I'm done like and there was only one option and that was have this operation that I've, that I've had done now um, and that was complete roll of the dice and no one had had it done at that stage um, so like Andy Murray was on the first to have it done but he had it done differently than I had in terms of they cut through his kind of muscle and stuff they didn't cut through any of my muscle which probably stood to me now to this day um, so yeah and then once it got to a certain point I actually didn't care about rugby anymore I didn't. I didn't care if I ever played any ever anymore. All I wanted to do was sleep properly, be able to walk straight, and you know, not have this pain in the front of my pain in my life. I should say, really, um, anymore. So that's when I decided, right? It's 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 gotten to it's gotten to the stage now where it's broke me, and I just want it fixed. Were you scared that it wasn't going to work? No. I wasn't scared at all, actually, because I was like, if it doesn't work in terms of not getting back, at least I know I've a really good way of life. I can bend down and pick up my nephews and mess around like that. And I can play 
uh, I could play soccer or I could play football or I could arse around on the football pitch or the rugby pitch at home, not play obviously, but it didn't bother me if I never played again. It just bothered me that I was out going to be out of pain. And when I woke up in the operation the next morning, uh, I was like a new man, like a new man. So I was, I, I just, when the pain wasn't in the front of my hip, I was so happy. I didn't care about anything else. It must have affected your personality to be living in pain. Like, yeah, it wasn't. I definitely, I definitely wasn't easy to be around, to be honest, at times. Um, I was going through some, yeah, I was going through some uh, emotional roller coasters over that period of time. Um, I was probably very up and down um, because, again, I'd have those really good weeks or a good, a good few days, let's say, and I'd say, geez, this is coming right now. And then I'd have a, a terrible 10 days. Um, so it was kind of very high and low. And, um, yeah, I probably... Probably wasn't that very nice to be around, to be fair, um, just because of, of mood swings and bits and pieces like that. Did you get help for that? Uh, not really. I, I suppose I had I had a kind of a plan in my place or in place, um, well, which I probably thought was a plan or some kind of coping mechanism. I used to just write down everything, um, like daily, in terms of how I felt and, you know, this morning, today is a good day, etc. and that kind of helped me through as well and expressed obviously lads in the environment then would be asking how are you today and some days it wouldn't be good and I'd get quite emotional some days with it even in training and um, they know that as well so that was it wasn't as if I was bottling it completely up I had like uh, family friends I was talking to as well um, at the time so they they knew you know if they knew some days that I was very upset about it because it was it was getting to that stage where it wasn't um, wasn't controllable Sounds like a really horrendous time and to just yeah. not, <laughs> not, not I look back on it, yeah. But look, we all have everyone has everyone has their own issues and problems and I'm sure there's someone else out there uh, have or people out there have been gone through way worse than me. So I always look at it that kind of way as well. I'm quite lucky to be able to be uh still playing the game now with, with a hip resurfacing and you know, um and uh, healthy, healthy in life. Otherwise, yeah, that's it. Just, I can't believe you're still playing. Like when you've described all that, and to be actually back on the pitch mm. and playing is like it's pretty phenomenal. So when you think of all the coaches that you had and all the people that you've met through your career, who has had the biggest impact on you? Um, yeah, there's been there's been quite a few. To be fair, I think my coaches in Tolo um, at the time, uh, Vinnie Mann, Larry Canavan. Uh, George Cavanagh, there was Pat O'Keefe, there's all those boys that were involved in the management at that stage, all like kind of um, had a big influence on me in the early days. Colly McEntee in the uh, Leinster Academy had a big influence on me when I was in that kind of he was nearly like a big brother to me in terms of um, just his mindset. And he, he kind of he liked what I was about, and I got, on, I got on pretty well with him, and he kept me going on tough days in the early on. Um, and then obviously, like I've had some class coaches. I think Czechs obviously had a major influence uh, on giving me a probably a very, very bringing my mindset to another place in terms of being so stubborn and and wanting it as much as possible. Um, he instilled that in a lot of us. I think at the time, not that we not that we enjoyed it very much, um, but he hardened he hardened a lot of people up within that Leinster environment. And then you have like the detail side of it with Joe and. Stuart Lancaster and and Leo and um, yeah, so I've just been I've been very lucky to have a lot of 
<coughs> really good people coach me and being involved in my life in terms of rugby over the over my career. When you think of everything that you wanted to achieve in your career and when you're growing up, the rugby player that you wanted to be, is there one performance that defines what you're about? Um. Yeah, there probably is. I think I think that second half of the well, there's there's a couple, but I definitely think the bigger games. I've 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 played my best rugby in the biggest games with the most pressure. I played my best rugby. So I think the Northampton, the second half of that Northampton game, um, and sometimes as rugby players, as professionals, you revert back to some of your really good clips. And when I look back at that, I was like, sometimes I don't know how you how I done it, even like, or or as the team done it. But like, there's so many good things that I done in that second half. Um, a couple of the All Black games, um, the one in Dublin, um, that we lost by, and then the one um, for the Lions. Um, those those kind of games against the best players, I always took that as a bigger challenge, and um, I've always played well in those games, which 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 meant a lot to me. It's something that people struggle to achieve, almost to be really good on the big day and be 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 able to perform under pressure. Why do you think you can do that? I think you have to have the the confidence in yourself first and foremost and uh, the other thing is the, your preparation going into those big games I remember in 2012 going into the Heineken Cup final I had, a, I had a bad injury to start of the year struggled to get back a bit of form um, and then played the semi-final um, and played okay but then I knew I, I remember saying to myself at the start of that week I said you're in the final now boss time to and I remember writing down on the page man of the match um today and I just went out and just played like enjoyed myself played that again and it just worked out for me again. Um but I kind of had I kind of knew when I got to the big day it's the time to stand up. Anyone can play well against poor opposition or mm-hmm. maybe people that aren't or or a team that's not as strong. But again I don't know what it was with me. Just the bigger the occasion the more I I you know, enjoyed it and relished it. Um, so, yeah, it was just a thing probably ingrained in me. And that was from, it's something that people ask me often about, was I like that as a young fella? When we got to finals, when I was even playing Gaelic football and stuff, it always seemed to be the bigger day. I, I enjoyed it a lot more and relished the whole the whole occasion. So I think having the confidence in, your, in, in yourself first and foremost and then the preparation that goes into that, have all your boxes ticked, then it's about just going and enjoying yourself and, play, and playing what you've done nearly all your life. That's pretty simple. You could just mm-hmm. follow that. So what do you think was your biggest success? Um, biggest success, probably getting capped for your country is, is one of them anyway, for sure. Um, you know, every time you play for your country, it's a massive honour. Um, so that, that was an incredibly special day for me in 2009. And, and then obviously going on two line sores was an unbelievable experience and, and something that I'd never really thought about when I first got capped for Ireland in 09. But, um, you know, four years later, then you're, you're um, or five years later, no, four years later, <laughs> um, you're going out to, uh, you're going out to Australia in a nine store and, and playing in two test, test games. So, um, very special moments and, um, 
you know, absolutely magical in my uh, career uh, for me. And um, yeah, just personally delighted with him. We're in line season at the moment, right? Smack bang in the middle of it. What is it about the lines that it that it's so special and that it just seems to leave a mark on people? Yeah, it's just it's just bringing those four countries together and people who you're trying to take lumps out week in week out in the Six Nations, and you're one team within three weeks um, of meeting. That's a special thing. Um, it'll be very different, obviously, for the boys that are out there at the minute because. The whole aspect of the Lions is about the interaction with the fans, the crack you have off the field, mm-hmm. um, you know, opposition fans, uh, just the atmosphere around the whole Lions and what it's about as an entity is is very, very special. And um, Jesus, we had some serious crack on 2013 and 2017, like unbelievable stories from both tours and memories that last forever. Um, so that's what, that's what makes it so special, obviously. And, to go out and win, obviously, then on a Lions tour is, is the ultimate. And thankfully, done that in 2013 and, and drew the 2017 one. Um, it's not a bad bag altogether. Absolutely not. And you're still going. So what do you think will be your legacy? This is a hard one. Yeah, it is. It's a tough one. I always, I've always said this, and loads of, obviously, sportsmen have said this, is just to leave... Um, any, I suppose, setup that I've been in in a really better place. Um, and I hope I've done that for Leinster. I hope I've added to the Leinster legacy over the 12 years I was with them. Um, same with Ireland for, for the guts of 10. And um, now with London Irish, I hope that I've added something to both setups and, and be remembered for for what I've done on the field and what I've given on the field. Um it's quite it's quite a tough thing, I think, as well for for fans to understand of I suppose what every professional sports person that plays rugby gives um in terms of their body and stuff. Um like uh, I've I've more of appreciation for it now than as I get older in terms of looking at younger lads what they're going through now. Um and I'm I've I've a year left probably in my career. Um so it's it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal, um, you know, what we go through to actually give other people pleasure and ourselves, obviously. But um, they're the things that I hope people will will remember me for is uh, how I went about my business um, on the rugby field for province for uh, and my club now and uh, my country in the Lions. Are you worried about what your body's going to be like in the future? I'm not worried about it because I know it's probably going to be broke. So <laughs> I knew that from probably my mid twenties. But uh, to be fair, Marie, it's like it's like anything. Um, you get back into different things. So I suppose when I finish playing rugby, whenever that is, um, as I said, probably in a year's time, um, you know, you you start to heal. Everything heals in time. So, but if a bad back or um, you know, a bad shoulder or whatever it may be, you crack into other things. So I'll probably become a, a yoga teacher or Pilates teacher or something for a while. Um, definitely won't, but I'll definitely get into something like that and um, just keep the body moving. I'll always be into fitness. I'll always be into, I, I, I do a lot of cycling as well. So I can see myself like always training, even when I finish in terms of probably be more so on a bike. Running, not so much, I don't think. But um, 
yeah, definitely keep myself taking over and staying as fresh and as fit as possible when I finish. What about the brain? Because there is a lot of focus now on concussion and it's a conversation that people are having an awful lot more. And when I think of players that went headfirst into a lot of other people, you are one of them that comes to mind. Yeah. Well, I never had a brain really since <laughs> I was young, so <laughs> I'm not too worried about that. Um, I know, in, in seriousness, um, no worries with that, to be fair here. I've obviously, um, I've had uh, two concussions in my whole life, um, which isn't um, a lot. Obviously, I prefer that to be at zero, but I had one, one, one easy enough one, as such, if you, if you can call it easy, but it wasn't, kept me out for a week or two, um, probably more of a glance than a proper concussion, but the other one was pretty serious. I'd had, had a... Um, inner ear problem and a vestibular problem after it for um, about two and a half months, I think, yeah. Because about nine weeks or ten weeks out. Um, and that's, touch wood, that's the only thing that's um, I've had in terms of my head injuries. So uh, I've been quite lucky that way. Yes, it is obviously a very serious issue at the minute um, with different people, but um, for me anyway, I think I've, my brain has switched on. It's working, thankfully, um, and hopefully it stays that way. Are you happy enough with the, where the game is at from a safety point of view? Like when you think of the next generation coming through, would you have any concerns that it might be dangerous, too dangerous for the athletes that are going to be, I guess, a little bit different to you when you were starting 10 or 15 years ago? They're going to be at the level maybe that you're at now. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have any, I wouldn't have any fears, but I think, I think world rugby and um, respective organizations they're doing a lot to, to protect people um, at the minute uh, obviously there's a lot more uh, rules have been brought in the last two years to, to try and combat anyone getting a head knock etc um, so it's not being ignored it's something that's out there something that players are very conscious of and it's um, it's something that we'll continue to manage as players as well and make sure that we're doing everything we can and um, and the powers to be will will do everything they can to to make the game as safe as possible. So what next for you then? What next? That's a good question. But I'm um, I have a few little bits on the horizon. But I've uh, definitely coaching is probably the route I'm going to go down. Um, possibly farming. Um, <laughs> I'll just see. I, I think I'll just see. I I, I would like to travel for for five or six months and take in a few bits and pieces that I haven't done before I um, get old and settled, maybe at some stage. Um, but yeah, I'll probably take a couple of months off when I, whenever I do retire and um, go see a bit of a, a bit of the world and, um, and uh, make a plan then of what's next. But definitely uh, coaching is probably um, the thing I like and enjoy and have started already. So when you say coaching, like what, what kind of a coach do you see yourself as now? Because there's so many different layers in coaching mm. now and there's directors of performance and there's head coaches and there's directors of rugby and then there's an array of different yeah. um, opportunities there. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely don't see myself as a head of performance or a, a, a director of rugby, um, you know, at, at this stage. Um, but I definitely see myself as a, a coach that can coach I think nowadays you have to coach a lot of um, different areas of the game. So if you're a defence coach, you have to be able to coach attack as well. 
because when you get the ball back, what are you doing with it? Um, or if you're an attack coach, um, you know, you have to be able to manage like um, back three and wings and every bit, every, there's, there's so much stuff now. There's a lot of unstructured stuff in attack. Um, so you need to have a few strengths to your bow, I think. And I think um, with, with a bit more experience and um, a few more badges under my belt, um, I could have a few strings to my bow. But ideally for me, I do like uh, the idea of defence and, and attack breakdown and defence. So it's... Uh, um, we'll see. And would you travel for that or would you like to come home? Don't think I'd come home, to be honest. Um, I'd probably stay this side of the water. Um, I think there's just more opportunity here at the minute. I think if you were to come home and coach in your own province or a different province, um, you'd have to be ready for that. Um, again, if you were a young coach and things weren't going well for you, it wouldn't be long known about it at home. I think over here, if you're a young coach and things aren't going so well for you, you're giving a little bit more slack and a bit more time to bed in and um, organisations are probably a bit more forgiving. Okay, well, that sounds interesting and not that far away either. Um, but you still have some rugby to play, so best of luck for the season ahead. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. It is not done yet, but it has been uh, quite an interesting one to date and you've achieved so much. And I know there'll be lots of sports fans out there watching this and listening to this who you will have given them some of the best days they've ever had uh, watching the game that they love. So thank you for all that. And thanks everybody for watching and listening. Please like, review and share. <laughs>